Happy New Year! And more importantly, Happy New Decade! Is this weird or what? I grew up in the 90s, and so when anyone talks about anything from the 90s, I'm like, oh, times were so different 10 years ago. 20, 30 years ago. Uh, still getting used to it. Uh, but anyway, it is that time of year that we all make resolutions that we're going to break in a few weeks, and we all get a membership to the gym and don't go and forget about it and pay for six months of it. And for me, it's the time of year where I write 2019 on all of my checks and documents because I wrote 2019 for an entire year. I can't get used to 2020. It's freaking me out. And you know, you know, it's going to be a brand new year, brand new decade, and a brand new era when the New England Patriots lose a wild card playoff game to the Tennessee Titans of all people. I'm sorry, Titans fans, that shocked me. I was sitting, if I had to bet money, I was like, oh, Pat's got it. They lost. And Pats fans, I'm sorry, but I'm a Broncos fan, I'm bitter, and you had the last 20 years, so get over it. You're going to get crap this year. <laughs> so, so today, in light of the new year and the changes we want to make in our lives, I want to play a, 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 run through a quick exercise with you guys. We're going to throw something on the board. I want you to fill in the blank with me. You can say it out loud if you want to, but, but, but here's the statement. If I only had... I'd be happy. Who said money? <laughs> oh, you're getting called out. Shame on you. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Uh, whoever's next to her, say shame on her. Uh, pray for her. Um, anyway, that happened the last service too. I, I'm beginning to see a theme here. Um, no, secretly, I think the same thing. Uh, now that we have that out of the way, now that we've got our minds thinking about the new year and the changes we want to see in our lives, um, I want to talk to you all this morning about a trap we often find ourselves in. And that trap is, a, is especially easy to fall into when we're making resolutions every new year, and that trap is the comparison trap. Now, I, I don't know many areas of life that are not touched by comparison. And, and it starts young. It starts really young. I remember being a kid and, and comparing myself to my peers and always getting over competitive in things like how many books I was reading through, uh, where I was on my multiplication tables relative to everybody else, and which Pokemon cards I had when I was out on the playground. Big comparison. We got some millennials in the crowd. I dig it. Um, and, and even though that sounds kind of silly, the, the, the truth of the matter is comparison can be no silly matter at all. Uh, it, it can infect every aspect of our lives, right? We, we think about it with regard to our appearance. Uh, some, sometimes it's like, ladies, you got your hair perfect. And you're excited and you go out and you, are, you think, my hair looks awesome. And then you always see that other girl and her hair looks fantastic. And you're like, I want that hair. And then guys, there's some of you in the crowd, you're like, I wish I had hair at all. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> No, but seriously, guys, we go to the gym, we start feeling good about ourselves, we're pumping iron, we're like, I'm going to get into shape, and then we look over and we see this guy, and we're like, that dude has a six-pack. Look at this guy. He looks like one of the, the guys from 300, if you guys have seen that movie. Crazy. He's chiseled. But who cares if he's got the six-pack, because I've got the keg, right? <laughs> if you've ever told that joke, shame on you. That's a terrible, terrible, terrible joke. Um, and, and I'm telling you, uh, and, and this is one of my favorites. There, there is nothing more fun to watch than a group of girls taking selfies, right? 
It's like the greatest spectator sport of all time. I'll turn away from the football game to watch that. It's hilarious, but it kind of freaks me out. I, I, and, and so I, I saw this video shared on Facebook a couple of years ago. Um, some of you may have seen it, but I thought it was perfect. I thought it was hilarious, and I think probably somebody at this church shared it, and that's what I remember it from. Uh, been around for a few years, but, but I think it's a perfect illustration of this. Let's, let's take a look at that real quick. <laughs> I mean, look, look at the one on the right. Do you have to With, make faces when you take selfies? Wait, one more now. Oh, there you go. Better angle. Oh, check it. Did that come out okay? That's the best one of the 300 pictures I've taken look, of myself like, today. Every girl in the picture is locked into her phone. Every single one is dialed in. Welcome to parenting in 2015. <laughs> They're all just completely transfixed by the technology. David Peralta. Oh, hold on. I'd take a selfie with the hot dog. Selfie with the churro. Selfie just of a selfie. I can't even get my phone to take pictures. <laughs> Took a picture of your thumb last week. That was good. <laughs> Here's my first bite of the churro. Here's my second bite of the churro. You know, the beauty of baseball is you can sit next to your neighbor and have a conversation, or you can just completely ignore them. Peralta knocks it into center. David tonight, two for two, a leadoff single here in the fourth. And nobody noticed. <laughs> help us, please. Somebody help us. Yeah. We need to. Can we do an intervention? How about if we send Baxter out there and he just collects all the phones? <laughs> You're not getting them back to the end of the game. That's good, right? That was funny. And those guys did some amazing commentary. That should be an actual sport. Uh, but, but my favorite line from that is, uh, nobody noticed. This play happens, the game's, something's actually going on, and nobody noticed, right? Have you ever felt like that? You're like, what are we doing here? We're sitting down for a nice dinner, and nobody's talking to each other. Nobody's paying attention to the dinner. They're all on their phones. They're taking selfies. People get so obsessed with that. And I'm not going to lie. I get a little hooked on my phone, too. It's been sitting backstage for half an hour. It's freaking me out. It's usually in my pocket. But we get so obsessed. And, and sometimes it's in our appearance, but sometimes it's in our possessions. You know, you're fine with your car until you realize your car can't drive itself. And so, you need a Tesla. Those things are pretty cool. And, and, and you're fine with your house up until the point you watch a few episodes of Fixer Upper. <laughs> and you're like, I need shiplap and distressed white paint in my life right now. Honey, get to it. <laughs> and your husband's like, I don't know how to do that. And sometimes it's in our performance, uh, in our jobs, we think, they got the big deal, they got the promotion, I should have gotten the big deal, I should have gotten the promotion, this punk's been working here for two years, I've been here for ten. And sometimes it's even in the context of our spiritual walk. Anyone in here use the Bible app? It's a good app, check it out. But you're in there, you're reading every day, you think you're doing good, you're running a little streak, and then you, you notice that one friend 
And they're completing like eight plans a day. Not eight sessions, eight plans a day. And you're like, what in the world is going on? I can't even finish the first plan I started. I'd be happy to get a streak into the double digits of reading my Bible every day. What in the world are they doing? They're killing it. And you start to compare. And sometimes it's our circumstances. It's the fact that, man, why? I am following God. I am being faithful. I am trying to live a biblical, true, godly life. And, and my life feels like it's falling apart. And I look at this guy. He's not remotely following God. In fact, he's a jerk. He, and and he's, his life is falling into place. He's got the best job, the best family, the best house. What is going on? Like maybe for you, it's, it's the fact that you're having trouble having kids and you're sitting there like, I can't have kids and this person over here, it doesn't look like they care and their spouse and them are creating kids like bunnies. <laughs> and some of us have kids and we're like, I want different kids. I think mine are broken. <laughs> and I think they came that way. I, it is, this is not my parenting. They came this way. And, and, and maybe for you, the comparison trap gets you with regard to choices, good or bad. Now, now when I was in high school, I was a pretty good student. I, I, I slacked off a little bit, but I still graduated a distinguished graduate. I had college credits uh, for, from some advanced placement classes I was taking. And, and I was ready my senior year. I was going to go off to school, and I was going to use everything I learned to make some money. I was pumped. So I went to school. I started studying pharmacy, and then after changing my majors a couple times, I ended up on engineering. But when I got out of school, I felt a calling to ministry, and I got offered a job here at Pinion Hills Church. And, and, and I loved it. I jumped in. I loved it. I love everything I do here. I love everything I used to do here. And, and I thought, this is the right place. This was a weird path, but, but I was content with my decision. But... I kept running into people I went to high school and college with, and we'd be talking, and ine inevitably they'd, they'd ask me, what have you been up to? What are you doing? Where are you working? And I'd tell them I work at a church. And they would look at me like I was a maniac. Like, really? Why are you doing that? You, 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 you went to school for something else. What are you thinking? I even had a couple of old classmates tell me I wasted my college years and were like teasing me about it. Don't say that to someone that's mean, that sticks with them. And I felt like all my old acquaintances who had become like doctors and lawyers, they were all looking down on me because of my choice to work in ministry. And, and all of a sudden, this job that I loved, that I felt content with, in that moment, I felt discontent. I was doing something I was passionate about, and I still felt discontent because I was comparing myself to them. Have you ever found yourself there? If you're taking notes, that's, that's exactly what comparison does because comparison kills contentment. It kills it. But what does it mean to be content? Some of us are sitting in here, we're like, I don't even know what that means. Like, I, I know like, conceptually what it means. What does it really mean? And, and thankfully, we, we've got this beautiful book of wisdom called the Bible, and we've got a really smart guy named Paul in there um, who wrote a little bit about this. And uh, we're, we're going to read about that in Philippians chapter 4. Now, keep in mind... Paul is writing this from prison. It's going to give it a completely new context. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 11. It says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Pause right there. 
I love that. I have learned to be content. Because it's not like you just wake up one day and everything's good and everything's great and you're happy with everything in your life. And when it does happen, it's often temporary, right? It doesn't usually last because we want it to just happen to us, but it's, it, it's actually a learned process. It's not, it's not a circumstance that just comes on you out of the blue. So, so let's continue. Verse 12. Paul says, I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him, and who's that? Christ, who strengthens me. And, and, and that's a beautiful verse. We love to say it. Steph Curry's got it on his shoes when he plays basketball. We love to hear it. But to understand it, you have to back up a minute. Because you have to understand, how can Paul do that? How can he do all things? The guy is in, in, in prison. How can he do all things, let alone be remotely content? Because he learned it. He learned how to be content, no matter the circumstance. It didn't matter if he was hungry or full. It didn't matter if he was in, in, in jail or he wasn't. He learned how to be content. And if contentment is something that we can learn and we can achieve, we have to remember comparison kills contentment. If we want that in our life, comparison has to leave. And here's what contentment in life is. This is my summary anyway. Contentment in life is simply accepting who God wants you to be and not who you wish you were. And there's a big difference there. Because the problem's like this. Uh, we, we, we stand here and we're here. You're here. This is where God has put you. This is the person God made you to be. You are here and it's good and it feels good for a while. You're comfortable with it. But look over there. Look over there. That looks nice. That looks better than here. I want to go there. I don't want to be here anymore, so I'm going to go over there. But here's the problem. Look, now that I went over there, where is it now? It's here. It's here. And now that I'm here, and now that there is here, there's another over there. And I want to go over there. So I'm going to head over there, and I'm going to leave my spot again. And do you guys see the problem with this logic and, the, and this pattern? The problem is every time you do this, you end up just running around in circles. And your desires for, for everything else that somebody has, whether it be their talent, their gift, their hair, their body, their clothes, their relationships, you just keep going around in circles because you haven't learned the art of being content. Comparison kills contentment. And, 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 and that uh, discontent has two very distinct outcomes when you choose to compare. And, and, and the thing that comparison can do, if you're, if you're taking notes, the first thing is comparison fills us with pride. And, and maybe a better way to say that is comparison leaves us prideful. Now, and now in Luke chapter 18, Jesus, he's telling the story about a Pharisee, um, using this as an illustration. Now, a Pharisee was a, a Jewish religious leader of the time, so uh, you can imagine it like, um, it, it's like if I were to stand up here today and pray a prayer like this. So, so listen to what Jesus says here. Luke chapter 18 at verse 11. It says, the Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even that tax collector. I fast twice a week. 
I give a tenth of everything I get. Now we look at that and we think, I would never pray like that. Who prays like that? That's ridiculous. Nobody prays like that. And guess what you just did? You compared yourself to the Pharisee. You're being prideful about not being as prideful as that jerk. We do this all the time. We say it in our head, and every once in a while it comes out of our lips, but most of the time it just stays in our head. And, and, and we just say things like, I'd never do that. I wouldn't do that. Why would they do that? That's ridiculous. They're acting like a maniac. An example of this was, was me becoming a parent. Now, when I became a parent three and a half years ago, I thought I was the best parent. I'm like, I am the best dad. I'm the coolest dad. My kids are lucky to have me. And, and, and my wife and I, we now have two beautiful daughters, uh, uh, Paige and Piper. And, and they're great. They're beautiful. They're great. But uh, I probably up until a little while ago thought I had it all figured out. I'm like, I got this thing down. I'd, I'd go out in public. I'd go to Walmart. And I'd see these kids freaking out at Walmart. And I'm like, whose kids are these? <laughs> Come on, control your kids in public. What's wrong with you? What kind of a parent are you? And, and I thought like this. I, I actually thought, like, I could handle that. Why can't you handle your kid? Until the day I took, for one of the first times, my almost three-year-old daughter, Paige, to Walmart without my wife. Here's the deal. That was one of our two children. My wife takes them both out all the time. She is a saint. I don't know how she does it. But, but I, I took my daughter out to Walmart. And so I'm confident. I'm the best dad in the world. Let's do this. And so we get there. Everything started fine. We got up to the entrance. We only had a five-minute argument about whether she was going to walk or be in the cart. That's all. And, uh, and, and obviously, I wanted her in the cart, because if you're a parent, right, you put your little kids in the cart, because you don't want to end up there when they're closing down Walmart. And she, she's like, Daddy, I'm a big girl, I can walk. And so we went back and forth, I'm like, you're getting in the cart, she's like, I'm walking, and I said, you're getting in the cart, and so needless to say, she walked. Um, <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. I got this. It's only going to take me like three times as long as it should, but I've got time. Uh, my wife will warm up dinner for me when I get home, I'm sure. And so uh, I, we had time. We kept going. So we walked in, and we swung around. We're on the west side Walmart. We swung around by the pharmacy. I was going to grab a couple things for the medicine cabinet. And uh, Paige and I only had another minor argument about um, her playing with the Easter decorations that were all sitting out. Uh, so that was fun. So I pried her away from that. I threw her in the cart. I strapped her in. I plugged my ears and I grabbed another bottle of ibuprofen. And we went. We went. I was like, we're out of here. Get out of, the, get out of the decorations here. They're not even toys. And so I walk around. We go by housewares. I grab some light bulbs for the house. And I was like, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to make a beeline for the back, and I'm going to jump over to the grocery store. And, and things are going to be good. The grocery store is more boring. If anything, she'll just kind of whine and sit in the cart. Good. Now, those of you that have been to Walmart, when you go from housewares and cut all the way across the store, what do you inevitably walk by? The toy section. I'm an idiot. Why didn't I walk to the front of the store and go over? I went around the back. I went by the toys. And so I'm sitting here, and I, and I see it. And I know my daughter sees it, and I'm like, we're about to have another fight, and this is going to make the other two look like nothing. And so we're walking, and she actually didn't start yelling. And I was kind of confused, because I didn't realize it at the time, but she was almost three years old, and she was learning how to um, play dad like a puppet. And so instead of whining and yelling that she wanted to go to the toys, she, she literally said this. She said, Daddy, can we please look at the toys? 
I want to pick out one for Piper. Piper's her little sister. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm melting. I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. That's so thoughtful. Uh, honey, uh, of course, but only for a few minutes. But, but thank you, that's so thoughtful. And so, so that few minutes turned into an eternity. It was horrible. She was pulling toys off the shelf and leaving them on the floor. The, the, the big rubber bouncy balls were bouncing through the aisles. I was having to apologize to people. I'm trying to pick up behind her. And by the time I got everything picked up, she was over by the bicycles and she was trying to strap a teddy bear that... It looked like a toy that should have been in a box. It wasn't anymore. I hope it wasn't her. But she has this toy and she's setting it on the back of the bike, strapping it in so she can take it for a ride. She's not even three and she's trying to get on this bike. And, and at that point, I'm like, no. I've had it. We're going. Stern dad comes out. The impatience started catching up with me. And what do you think happened? <laughs> the meltdown. She was freaking out. And, and very, very quickly, I was starting to look like all the parents I'd been judging for like three years. <laughs> and, and, and so I did exactly what everyone in here would have done. I really loudly shouted, whose kid is this? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Come get this kid. All the dads are leaning over to their wives like, see, it's not just me. <laughs> In fact, I could have handled that better. And guys, don't think that, because remember, comparison leads to what? Pride. I, uh, I love this quote. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers, uh, and I love the way he put this. He, he said this. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. And that one kind of got to me. That was kind of interesting. It's so true, right? If everyone was on a level playing field, there'd be nothing to be prideful about. So in light of that, we have to remember, finding contentment in life is simply about accepting who God wants you to be and not who you wish you were. So comparison, it can fill us with pride. And the, and the second thing that it can do is it can leave us bitter. Bitter, jealous, envious, obsessed. But the Bible also says this, Proverbs chapter 14. A tranquil heart is life to the body. But jealousy is rottenness to the bones. Now the first part sounds good. A tranquil heart, a peaceful heart, it sounds good. It's life to the body. But oh man, jealousy, it rots the bones. And the bones are like the foundation of your body. The Bible could be really saying, look, when you become jealous, when you become bitter, it rots the foundation of who you are. And it's so true. And, 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 and put another way, this is a sad truth I've realized just looking at my behavior and other people's behavior, is that we too often resent God's goodness in others' lives and ignore God's blessing in our own lives, right? We can easily resent God's goodness in others' lives. We get on Instagram and we're flipping through and we're thinking, look at this guy. We're looking at one of our friends, but he's an enemy now. Look at this guy. He's on another vacation. What is he doing? He must have gone into massive debt. I bet he ticked off his boss. What is he doing? Does he have to be on a beach every other week? Or, or, we, look, or we look through and we see somebody around town and we're like, did they really have to buy that? Did they need more clothes? Did they need another car? I can't believe they did that. And we look on and we judge. And we start to become a person that we don't want to be. 
we start resenting God's goodness in somebody else's lives, and then we turn around, and to make it even worse, we ignore God's blessings in our own life. The things that God has given you, the things that the circumstances God has put in your way has given you. You ignore the fact that you may actually have transportation to get you around. But you still get in your friend's car and you're like, man, this car is sweet. It's got all the bells and whistles. It looks like it's just been detailed. Mine looks like it's got Cheerios crushed in the carpet and someone threw up in it because they did. (laughs) They did. I'm sorry for those of you people who want kids. It's true. That happens. And you might even have a phone and you're like, you think, man, all right, I got a phone. That's cool. But I want a phone that when I just look at it, it unlocks. I just want to look at it because I don't want to use that primitive fingerprint sensor. That's for losers. And when it doesn't work, I've got to type in a four-digit code. What is this? I want one that I look at. Guys, if you're thinking that, calm down. I think you're going to survive the miracle of technology that is in your pocket, even if it is five years old. I think you're going to survive it. Stop ignoring the blessings in your life. You've got so many things to be thankful for. But comparison, it kills contentment and it causes problems. So so the question is, how do we get rid of it? How do we get rid of this? How do we live without comparing? It's so prevalent. And, And there's a couple of simple things we can do. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing you can do is to recognize what you do have. And we just talked about how we ignore the blessings, so it's probably a good idea. The first thing we should do is recognize what we actually do have. Um, and, and so Galatians chapter 6 says this, For if anyone considers himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. Now, why is it bad to think highly of yourself? Because that's pridefulness. And pridefulness is a, is, is a symptom of comparison, and comparison kills contentment. It makes your eyes wander. It makes you look at things that other people have and want them for yourselves. And, and that's not a good situation. And so sometimes I have to think back, and, and, and when I get down into that, that point of discontent, I've got to look back and wonder what it would be like if I had fearfully resisted the call to go into ministry. If I, if I had thought that working for a church was a waste of my time in school, Here's the things I'd have missed out on. I'd have missed out on relationships I developed in our young adult and student ministries. And I would have lost a few, I I would have never found a few friends that I have today. I would have missed out on experiencing all the baptisms and weddings I'm blessed to be a part of. Who doesn't love Baptism Sunday? Who doesn't love a wedding? I get to go to a lot of them. And I love it. I probably officiated a few people's wedding in here. It's awesome. I love it. I would have missed out on the growth I've experienced writing sermons and Bible studies and in visiting people in the hospital and being there for people when they lose a loved one. Those are difficult situations, but they've made me grow. I would have missed out on that. I would have missed out experiencing firsthand the transformative power of Jesus in the lives of people like you. I would have missed out on that. And I would have missed out on the experience uh, or the time that my daughter, one day when I was getting ready for work, um, said that daddy's going off to work at the church with Jesus. Oh my God. She gets me. 
And I would have missed out on the experience of, of helping out with the One Church movement and seeing the, the Christians in our town get excited about God and start a revival and come together and worship despite what church they went to. I would have missed out on getting to be a part of that. And that's amazing stuff. And I would have missed it if I let comparison get to me, if I'd have fallen into that trap and not gotten myself out. So the question is, what are you missing out on? What is your constant comparison to other people keeping you from experiencing? Maybe you closed a great deal at work, but you missed another one of your kids' games. Or maybe the outside of your house looks beautiful. You actually got it to look like the houses in Fixer Upper, and that's all great. But maybe on the inside of your house, it's, it's, it's full of strife and, and turmoil and hate. Or maybe you, you got the career you wanted, and, and you got to where you wanted to be on the ladder, but you lost a marriage in the process. Or maybe it's as simple as you just crafted the perfect picture for Instagram, but you spent so much time doing that, you missed the moment unfolding in front of you. Recognize what you do have. Be content in any and every situation. And when you begin to do this, you learn a secret. You learn what it means to be able to do all things through Jesus, who gives you strength. And then the second thing you can do is accept who God made you to be. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And if you've been in the church for a while, you may have heard this over and over, and you finally got to a point where you almost feel numb to it. It's, it's a beautiful truth, but you get numb to it because you hear it all the time. And that's true that this verse, but for a minute, I want you to think about this with me. Um, everyone here in the worship center, everyone watching at home, you were created by the creator of the universe. You were crafted by him. You were his workmanship. And at one point in time, he paused for a minute and looked at you and said, what am I going to put into them? What gifts, what talents, what resources, what experiences am I going to put into this person to prepare them for the work I've, I, I've, I've set forth for them? It's a little bit like this. When I was a kid, I would love to play with this right here. It's Play-Doh for those of you that are, yep, thank you. Play-Doh. I loved this. I loved it. I loved opening it up. I loved smelling brand new Play-Doh before it smelled like some dirty kid's hands. It smelled really good. I, I loved how soft it was. I, I, I loved it. But, but inevitably, somebody, sibling, cousin, friend, they're going to do that and walk away. And what happens? Turns hard as a rock. It doesn't ever go back. Or, or, or maybe they, they drop it on the floor and some hair gets stuck to it and then they shove it back in there and close it and then you find it when you open it back up. How frustrating is that? Who was weird with their Play-Doh when they were kids? Don't mess with my Play-Doh. Because it's so good. When it's soft and it smells good, it's so good. And, 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 and I'd get mad when somebody would mess it up. And, and yes, I'm reliving my childhood memories, but I'm also thinking about playing with Play-Doh with my kids. It's brutal. But, but, but one of my favorite things about new Play-Doh is that when you open the Play-Doh with a blue lid, it was actually blue Play-Doh. It wasn't this mismatched colored thing that's in everybody else's Play-Doh. Why would you put green with your blue? What are you doing? It's supposed to be blue Play-Doh. I, I, I loved that there was some consistency in that. And, it, and it's kind of funny, but when we think about it, it's actually a bit like our lives. You were born, and you were created, let's say, blue. 
and blue is good. Blue is great. Blue is blue corn tortillas. It's, it's, uh, it's blue skies in the summer. It's a blue lake to go fishing on. Blue is really great until you see yellow. Ooh, yellow. Yellow's great. I love yellow. Yellow's awesome. Yellow's like sunshine and sunflowers and freshly sharpened number two pencils. Yellow is awesome. I love yellow. I want to be yellow. And, 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 I'm, and I'm enjoying being yellow. And then I see orange. And then I go to orange. And I'm like, oh, okay. I like orange. Everybody likes orange. Orange is an awesome color. Orange is warm. Orange is like leaves in the autumn. It's like pumpkins. It's like the Denver Broncos. It's good stuff. I love orange. <laughs> But there's pink right there. Look at this pink. Right over there. Pink. Who doesn't love pink? Pink is awesome. Pink is cherry blossoms in the spring. It's like New Mexico sunsets right here. This is like little girls running around in princess dresses. It's awesome. Pink is so, so good. Why wouldn't I want to be pink? Pink is fantastic. And so you do this thing where you start taking a bit of everybody else, a bit of somebody else. Maybe somebody tells you you should be more like your sister. Maybe somebody tells you you should do this or do that or dress this certain way. Maybe somebody tells you, oh, you can't do that. Why would you do that? Why would you waste your time doing that? Why would you waste your time in school to go into ministry? Why would you do that? You're going to be a failure. And, and this happens. And, and, and it all gets mixed together. And you take bits and pieces of everybody else's opinion and all these comparisons. And this is killing me, by the way. I hate this. <laughs> and you get this. You get that disappointing can of Play-Doh that you open up and you're like, well, somebody ruined this. And you get this. And, and in the process, you lost you on the way. You see, you've got to understand, you are God's workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You're not better than anyone, but you're special, you're loved, and you are uniquely created by God and empowered by Christ. That's a big deal. Paul, in, a, in another book that he wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about this idea that, that uh, we're all one. Christ's body is all one. And so because of that, an eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you because you're not an eye. And, and, and the mouth couldn't say to the ear, who needs you? Because why, you wouldn't be able to hear if you did that. And Paul says, rather, listen, you all have different gifts. You all have different gifts, but you're in one body. You all have a different expression of your uniqueness. Know who you are because in knowing who you are, you know who you don't have to be. And that's freeing. That's exciting. You can be you. You can be the you that God created you to be. And in that, God's going to take some blue folks and he's going to take some yellow folks and pink folks and orange folks and green folks. And instead of mashing them all together and, and, and getting everything confused, he's instead going to weave them into this beautiful tapestry that works as the one body of Christ to do the work that he has for us. So you do you, be who God created you to be, and I, and I pray today that you find out what that means for you, because when you know who you are, you know who you don't have to be. And that's an awesome power going forward into the new year. Let's pray. God, we just, we just want to thank you today that, that each and every person in this room was created directly by you, the creator of the universe, that, that we're works of art in you, and, and that God, that you made us for a specific purpose, that you gave us gifts and talents, and, and, you, and you made us all look differently and think differently, and, and God, we, 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 we just need you to remind us, your Holy Spirit to remind us that that's empowering, that's not a letdown, that, that, that's not something that we should be ashamed of or, or concerned with, that's beautiful, and that you made us that way. And God, we just pray that, 
that you let us lean into those blessings that, that, that you've given us so that we can start doing the work that you've set forward for us. And God, if, if there's anybody in this room that um, has never heard anything like this, that doesn't really understand this, God, I just pray that your spirit would, would enlighten them, that would let them know that, that they are loved by you and that they've got a purpose here on earth and that, God, they would continue pursuing your truth in light of that. God, we just thank you that the God of the universe would want us to do his eternal work. And it is an honor. And God, we thank you that we get to play a part. In Jesus' name, amen.